Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is... Joy. And this week, it's my turn to pick the topic. Now, Joy doesn't, of course, know what my topic is going to be. And this week's topic, it, it's, I like to call this one, I've been thinking about this for a while. This is a bingo card topic, as inspired by Saz. Okay. And if you look on your bingo card, I believe it's the top left bingo card. This one, this week, is the subject of hurt and pain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, great, um, what a great topic, Tim. <laughs> so we are honoring um, the bingo card of Joy describing an injury. So oh. <laughs> I've put together a list of songs which have breaking and pain and that kind of stuff in it. And the, I think what we're going to do is we'll work our way through the song list and we can talk about those songs. And then maybe if Joy would like to interject with a injury story as we go, maybe we'll do that. All I could think of is I thought you were just going to start talking about like hurt, like by Nine Inch Nails and Johnny Cash. Like, <laughs> so I like the whole episode. All right, let's do this. OK, so as, as I was culling through my iTunes collection, trying to find songs using the correct keywords these are the ones i found and the first one i found which of course is a uh, a rock classic if you will okay this is billy ray cyrus's achy breaky heart <laughs> you know what i think of when i think of billy ray of course i think of achy breaky heart because it's a classic but i have two stories that come to mind with him and no i did not get injured at a Bakey Bricky Heart line dance. I can't confirm or just deny <laughs> that that's ever happened. So what I think of when I think of Billy Ray Cyrus is two things. One, the trajectory of his hair, because it has changed significantly over time. Um, but also one time I was at a Mexican restaurant and, you know, like when you're at a Chinese restaurant or a Mexican restaurant and they play like pop music, but it's like they've done like a classical version of it or like a Hispanic sounding version of it. One time we were sitting in a Mexican restaurant and I kept going, I swear this is achy breaky heart. <laughs> and so I was looking at my mom and I'm like, am I losing it? Or is this achy breaky heart? And it was true. And then at some point they actually had a Hispanic guy come in and start singing achy breaky heart. And so my older sister is married to, um, my brother lost from Mexico and she talks about that like achy breaky heart is really popular in Hispanic countries. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, random, right? But they have a big a big cultural like country because if you think about it, a lot of Hispanic, especially Mexico countries, wear like cowboy boots and have like the cowboy thing going on. On. So I guess they're big into country music and Aggie Bricky Heart is really big. She's even been to like um, some Hispanic based like dancing bar type things that Aggie Bricky Heart plays there all the time. I would I would have never never thought that. But but then but I suppose I don't know. I've never been to Mexico. and My only experience of Mexican culture probably is Mexican restaurants. Well, I mean, it's not like I'm super cultured and I, I've been to Mexico once, but I just remember that sticking out that I'm like, I swear that's a Spanish version of Achy Breaky Heart. And then when I talked to her, she confirmed that it's really popular um, in Mexico and in their culture. So there you go. Do you, do you think that's what it's, I think of. Do you, do you think it's Billy Ray Cyrus's uh, Stella 80s mullet that drew people in? Definitely. 
It had to either be the mullet or did you ever hear the modern day version of Achy Pricky Heart he did? No. The terrible where he remade. You haven't heard it? No, I have not heard that. <laughs> and like 2019, he redid Achy Pricky Heart and tried to modernize it. And I think there may have been an additional artist in it. <laughs> I will post that on the page because it is absolutely terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> I can confirm it's terrible. He doesn't have a mullet one. So he lost that brownie part, but like he took it from like, kind of like that line dancing guitar riff kind of thing that you hear in it and tried to make it more almost like electric sounding. And -hmm. if I can remember right, there may be a rap part in it now. Oh dear. (laughs) So I will make sure to culturally enlighten you on that. Okay, well, I'll look into that. And i tell you another bingo card option for you. Interesting fact about Billy Ray Cyrus's mullet, or actually mullets in general. Did you know that the mullet did not exist before? It was sometimes like 1986 or 1987. No, I did not know that. Well, the, the hairstyle may have existed, and it was originally called hockey hair because a lot of Canadian hockey players ice hockey players would have that hairstyle but Mm. the name the mullet the actual word the mullet didn't exist before i think it's 86 or 87 and where it came from is the beastie boys in their heyday had a magazine i forget what it was called but they they they, it was was part of their fan club and they they decided decided they wanted to get into publishing and it was some kind of like culture magazine of the day okay and they had a spoof article in this magazine about somebody out and about, and they I think they were either chasing this guy or there's some guy thinking he was cool in a soft top car or something. And it was a whole kind of like photo journal. And they called the hair that he was wearing. So he was like, look at that guy in his mullet. <laughs> and apparently the main mullet was made up by one of the guys in the Beastie Boys, and it didn't appear anywhere in print or anything prior to this Beastie Boys fan club magazine. Is mullet like a tool? Like, isn't there, isn't mullet used as another word for something? I think it's a fish. Oh, yes. <laughs> a tool. That's way <laughs> different than a fish. But yeah, I think the name. So I wonder how they took the fish and thought, see, what I think of a mullet, I think it is the hair version of like, a, um, what's the car that's like a half, an El Camino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, it's the yeah. hair version of an El Camino. <laughs> I don't know how it relates to the fish. <laughs> I, okay, Beastie Boys, if you're listening, once again, please come on the show. <laughs> we record on Wednesdays. <laughs> All right, Tim, what's the next song? Okay, so uh, the, the next one I have in my, my list is, a, is another breaking song, which is uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. Well, did we have like a whole conversation about Kiki D's? We we were trying to decide one episode before if she ever had any other songs. And I think we established she had like one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I, she she had a moderate 70s career, which I think we've covered before. But yeah. certainly Don't Go Breaking My Heart is the pinnacle of the, uh, the Kiki D catalog, I'd imagine, for many. Well, I think that like if you're a moderately good artist and you know you've had a okay career any song that you produce with elton john is probably going to be the top of your you know zenith or whatever exactly like, if i put a song out with elton john it's probably going to be up the top of my list as a pretty decent 70s singer maybe had a few hits so it makes sense but also um 
I I would say that for Elton, that's definitely one of his big hits. Not that he doesn't have like what seventy four top one number ones in the past three decades or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it wasn't just a big hit for her; it was a big hit for him too. So yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, the ver- the version that I was listening to when I was preparing for this uh, podcast was the version from Live Aid. Oh yeah, it's uh, a good version too. I have yeah. I haven't watched that in a long time though. I need to go back and do it. I, I, when's the last time I saw it? In its, in, in its entirety, maybe mm-hmm. two years ago, something like that. I need to go back. It's probably been three or four years for me. It's one of those concerts, so that in my mind, I, I think it's one of the greatest concerts of all time. Personally, See, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no um, doubting that's the fact. But it's, I didn't see Live Aid live. We, we was on holiday in Celsius and we just didn't see it. It was a thing we didn't see. Hmm. It. And I mean, after the fact, I've seen it a hundred times, but I, at the time I hadn't seen it. But for me, there was a concert called Nebworth 90, which um, was a similar kind of idea. It, was, it wasn't quite, it wasn't for Africa famine relief. It was for some kind of music therapy charity, Silver Clef charity or Silver Clef winners or something like that. But anyway, it was all of the British artists of the day at this concert. Paul McCartney was there. Status Quo was there. Cliff Richard was there. It was, there was a lot of people at this concert. And 1990 was around the time I was learning to play guitar. So for me, that was my live aid because I hadn't seen a lot of these artists before. And certainly is from from a guitar playing perspective, there was lots of stuff that I picked up from that. I learned from Eric Clapton how to do vibrato on the guitar from that concert. Huh. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned it, but I need to go back and actually watch it because you've talked about that concert before. But it never I never heard of it till you said it truthfully, which is weird considering how many top artists you said were on it. Um, do you remember? And I'm tar- I'm starting to believe maybe I made this up. There was a farm made. And it was to help farmers, and it was produced by Willie Nelson. That's correct. There was a farm. There was did a number. Of, bell or did I make that up? No, there was a okay. number of Farm Aid concerts, and in fact, I think it was Farm Aid '86. Okay. I think was the first time Eddie Van Halen and Sammy Hagar performed together live after he joined Van Halen. Okay, yeah, because I went back and watched a bunch of them, and I think I'd even heard that fact before. But then I never, you know, never really hear anybody ever say anything about Farm Aid. And I remember my mom told me that Willie Nelson was the producer behind it, mm-hmm. um, and the money went to help farmers in America, or yeah. maybe universally. I don't know, but I assumed it was in America because I think it was an American thing. Yeah, it wasn't a UK thing. I mean, the question I would ask is, what was Willie? What did Willie Nelson want them to farm? <laughs> <laughs> We don't have to go into detail. He just sent it to farmers. He never specified which farmers. <laughs> he wanted them to farm crops. Crops, plants, lots of plants. And you know, I can never say anything wrong about Willie, so let him do what he wants. <laughs> exactly. Let him go on with it. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. What's next on the list? Okay. So th- this is maybe a tenuous link, but low. Featuring T Pain by Flowrider. <laughs> okay, so first of all, the fact that Tim has that on any playlist is amazing. <laughs> See, I can I can surprise sometimes. I mean, my my uh, my listening may be considered by many as narrow, but once in a <laughs> once in a while, something like that will break on through. I'm, I'm very familiar with, um, with Flo Rida. I saw him being interviewed at the time. I don't think he's, um, 
I don't think he's famous as much anymore. He probably came, came and then he disappeared. But the thing is about Flo Rida, he tried to make a music career long before this. It didn't really work out for him. So he went to he went to school and learned all about music business management. And armed with that fresh knowledge, he then launched himself as Flo Rider. His name's not Flo Rider. It's like Robert Smith or something. Well, Flo Rider's just because he's from Florida. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody hadn't picked up on that yet, that's where he gets the name. But what I thought was interesting is the T-Pain thing. So one or two seasons ago, which Tim thinks the show is ridiculous, but I like the mass Singer, um, T-Pain won because... He's actually a really good singer. Like live, he's a fantastic singer. And you know that little desk or tiny desk concert series, whatever on, it's called? Yeah, on NPR. Yeah. So he did a bunch of music recently on there. You need to go listen to it. He's an amazing singer, but for some reason, he got put into a box with the autocorrect, kind autocorrect, that's not what I would say, auto, what's the spell, word I'm looking spell, for? Spell check, it's spell check, isn't it? No, no, no. Like when you're singing, like auto. Auto-tune. <laughs> God damn. Auto-tune. So he got put in a box of auto-tune and like with the rapping and doing the auto-tune rapping. And for some reason, that was his niche with his record company or whatever he was working with. And mm -hmm. they would not let him breach out of that. So he won the mass singer and like no one realized it was him because no one had any clue that T-Pain could actually sing really well. So wow. if you guys have never heard him sing live, I mean, it's. I mean, whoa, like I'm talking like next level good. You would have no clue who he was. Gorgeous voice, beautiful tone. And it's like when he took off the mask and he was a monster, <laughs> literally a monster. <laughs> As a little, his little character. Spoiler alert. If you're watching that season, the monsters, <laughs> but yeah, he took off the mask and everybody was like, where did that come from? <laughs> so that's what I, uh, so when you said T paid, that's what I was thinking about is he was in low. He's got that auto tune kind of background rapping sound, but mm -hmm. that's not actually how he sings. It's just what he got. And that does make you wonder how many artists that happens to. Like they get put in a box and they can't get back out. That's true. And I also I I think around the same time I saw um, T Pain being interviewed, and he's a he's another super business smart guy mm -hmm. because he, I think at the time he he he'd had this success and had some other success, and he just bought himself a two hundred thousand dollar gold plated Lamborghini. And the interviewer <laughs> said to him, they said, you know, you do realize your this is not going to last forever. You know, you're spending all your money on a Lamborghini with gold plate. Why are you doing that? He said, well, he said, I'm very simple. He says, every, every dollar I make, half of it goes in the bank, half of it I'm going to enjoy. He said, I, this is, this is of course, he said, this will never last forever. But he said, I um, want to enjoy this. But equally, he said, I want to set myself up for when I'm not famous anymore. So he said, yeah, I've got a $200,000 gold Lamborghini. He said, I, I must have earned $400,000. That's how I afforded it. So speaking of ridiculous things that purchases, which I agree with him, I am a I'm a firm believer in work hard, play hard. And if he's got the money to do it, I don't care if he buys a gold plated Lamborghini. He's not affecting me in any way. No. And it's logical what he's saying, because, I mean, you're only going to be alive for so long. If you save so much money, I mean, where if you never spent it on anything fun, what's the point? Exactly. That's how I feel about it. But I heard on the radio this morning with ridiculous purchases. Ludacris said, and I quote. Um, 
He said that during COVID quarantine, he discovered he never, he said previous to this, he was never at home. He didn't, he was always on the go, business, whatever, whatever Ludacris does all day. He discovered there was a tennis court on his property at his house for the first time. Tim, the only thing I'm discovering is like if I have a leak in the sink or a bat in the (laughs) living room. And he discovered on his, he says he has 22 acres and he discovered a tennis court he didn't know existed on his property how does that happen i don't know i mean i'm i mean i've lived in this house for three years nearly and maybe i might discover the fact there's another hole in the fence at the back (laughs) exactly (laughs) to think oh there's there's another four bedrooms i didn't know about (laughs) this it's just it's absolutely ridiculous and even that's what the people at the radio were saying they're like oh great you know what i came home and discovered the sink had been leaking all day and now i gotta replace the floor he comes home and discovers that he needs a new there's a new tennis court on his property (laughs) absolutely (laughs) ridiculous but mind you if you extrapolate that down so like like i have a jar full of guitar picks and I don't if I said tip it out, I couldn't tell you all the ones I had in there or what brand they were or whatever. So is it the same thing that like you're so stinking rich and you buy a massive house that it doesn't occur to you? Whereas, you know, I can buy 100 guitar picks today if I wanted to, but I would not know which ones I had. Is that does that work or does that not work? I think that I mean, it's about as close as we're going to get to it. I remember thinking, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like when you bought the property, you didn't go out and look around. <laughs> Was it not in the listing? I don't know. I have so many logistic questions. Um, yeah. And I think he mentioned something else that he discovered, but I can't remember what it was. And I'm just sitting there thinking we live very different lives. Ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we really didn't talk much about low, but that is a song of my childhood. And I was trying to think about if I had any injuries to that song, because that's a realistic song. I could have been injured, too, but I can't. Nothing's coming to mind. (laughs) You didn't you didn't do a limbo dance really low and then whack your head on something. No, no, I don't think I've ever been injured playing limbo. Um, I have definitely been injured during many line dances, but no limbos and nothing beats the time that the drill landed on my foot. That was just pure luck. But no, I can't think of anything injured. So I guess let's go to the next song and see if I can <laughs> relate in any way. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is a this is a a, a ninety degree turn from from um, Flow Rider, and this is okay. the Carpenters breaking up is hard to do, which has break in it. <laughs> I mean, it is a complete 360 from where you were a minute ago. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, breaking up is hard to do. It says it right there in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have much to say about that. When I think of the Carpenters, I just think of because where what? There's Mary Carpenter. Who are the other members? How many? Well, there's, there's Karen Carpenter. Karen and I Carpenter. think it's Richard Carpenter. Okay, and they're are they a couple or brother and sister? I can't. I think remember. they're brother, they're brother and sister from one. Okay, I just associate them with family stuff. That's all I associate. I imagine them as like the Partridge family, but smaller. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a it's like a Partridge family of two. <laughs> they're just the baby version of it. I don't know. I don't really have much to say about it. I know the song. Tim, what are your thoughts on breaking up? It's hard to do, or the well, Carpenters in general. 
Well, I, I, li- I actually really like the Carpenters, and um, I though my, fa- I mean, they have so many hits, and their sort of Carpenters Gold album is probably all you need in the realm of the Carpenters, unless you they want to harmonize deep- really well. Yeah, and she was an excellent drummer as well. Well, and uh, siblings tend to harmonize really well together. That's a natural thing they have. But all I can think of is, didn't she really go for really big bangs in the 70s? I remember she had very thick, um, very like intense bangs at some point. Mm. That's all. I. And they wore, did they wear matching outfits? Probably. It was the 70s. Everyone was doing that. Yeah, I feel like they wore matching outfits, which may be why I associate them in the Partridge family realm. (laughs) (laughs) Or like very almost like Sonny and Cher, which is why I thought they were a couple, which is kind of weird. Sorry, Carpenters. If you are brother and sister. I think they were brother and sister. I mean, our um, our friend Phil is shouting now. He's literally <laughs> his, his, his voice. There's no, there's no voice left. And he will be able, he'll be able to correct us, but I'm, I'm convinced they're brother and sister. Though I will say, my favourite Carpenters track is a very quirky track, calling occupant, occupants or interplanetary craft. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. As soon as you said it, you guys couldn't see I was smiling because I've only <laughs> I only like discovered that song. I think I like saw a video talking about it on a whim. It's not a song you're going to hear on the radio. That's for sure. I will. I will. Um, I will post that. Um in the uh, Facebook group after because people need to see it because the not only is the song great, but the video is equally as great. <laughs> well, I mean, and they had like, I think of like rainy days and Mondays when I think of the carpenters, mm-hmm. that, that's the song that comes to mind, but I don't know why. Maybe I just like rainy days and Mondays. I don't know. Very, very, very possibly. It was very rainy last week here. <laughs> Maybe on a Monday. Well, well, there you go. It, it all ties up. Everything That's works together. That's my hard take on the. <laughs> Joy really has some fast takes on the Carpenters guy. <laughs> they had big bangs. I think they wore matching clothing. We have established they are siblings. <laughs> Think about rainy Mondays. All full circle. <laughs> there, there we go. Well, I will. Uh, I, I will spin this off in a. Um, Slightly different direction then. Um, so my next song I have on the list is a classic, as all these songs are, or some of them are, some of them are not classics. Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel. Heartbreak Hotel. Well, first of all, we I mean, I love Elvis and that one's iconic. He's I can you if you guys aren't seeing the music video in your head, I don't know what you're missing out on, but probably one of his top songs of all time, I would say. I don't know. He had a lot of hits. Yeah, I am. Um, have you ever been to Graceland? Yes, we talked. We, I think we've, you've asked me that like four times <laughs> on the podcast. Bill is probably screaming, yeah, she's been to Graceland. <laughs> but yes, I've been. Well, as you know, they, I think they, they have outfits there from mm-hmm. Heartbreak Hotel as, as well as the other stuff that he's worn in his uh, Vegas jumpsuits and the whole thing but they they had a Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas for a very short period of time called Viva Elvis and they were trying yeah. to cash in on the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil show which is that now the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil show is absolutely fantastic yeah, I never got to go but I've had friends who've went and said it was like amazing like life-changing good yeah I, I've been lucky enough to see it twice and it is really really good and it's done in the round and all the seats have speakers in them and it's the only 
it was I think it's the only Cirque show that didn't have a band that used the Beatles music. And they, you know, they worked with George Martin and they created a special mix of the songs and they mashed all the songs together and it's a whole thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and all the, all the existing Beatles signed off on it. And it's, it's a, it's a thing, you know, because, you know, when you're a band from Liverpool, obviously you want a French company honoring you and then putting on a show in Vegas. No, I mean, that does make sense. Question though. So with the heartbreak hotel, is he, cause you know, you saw him out since my baby left me, mm-hmm. I found a new place. Well, is it an actual, cause wasn't there, didn't they have a heartbreak hotel? Like they made a hotel after the song. Yeah. Or was he singing about a specific hotel before? I wonder if he was. I think he's, I think he's talking about a metaphorical hotel, hotel. not an actual, not an actual. So he's uh, not sitting at a hotel. I took it too literal. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not sitting in a holiday in express or anything and um, writing his song. But <laughs> <laughs> Shocking joy. Took that too literal. <laughs> but, but in Memphis, right by where Graceland is, which we've now it's, doubly established that you've been to on the other mm-hmm. side of the road where the gift shop is a little bit down from there there is a hotel that's called the heartbreak hotel that's what i thought i've seen like an actual hotel which i mean that's great marketing why wouldn't you do that if you exactly. were gonna open a hotel true especially that close to graceland which i've never i can't say i've never seen the heartbreak hotel in person but i think i've seen a picture of it or something and it's very iconic kind of 1950s look yeah it's just beside the uh, the parking for graceland Oh, I don't remember seeing it, but I'm sure it's there. But as you you know, Elvis Presley Boulevard, where we obviously wasn't called that when he lived on it, but it's now called Elvis (laughs) Presley Boulevard. Um, As you know, that part of Memphis is kind of sketchy. So, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to stay in a hotel right there, to be honest. Well, it is a heartbreak hotel. It could indicate that you pay by the hour, but who knows? There you go. <laughs> well, I looked at the rates and I think you probably would want to pay by the hour because it's very expensive to stay there. <laughs> that makes sense, though. I mean, it's just a marketing scheme. But I mean, there's like, I think there, you know, the, you know, the Bates Motel from like the horror movie, like mm-hmm. the Bates, like, I think there is somebody who marketed and calls themselves the Bates Hotel. And I'm always like, would I really want to stay there? Kind of like you're saying, the Heartbreak Hotel. I don't know that I want to stay there. I've I've seen the real Bates Motel in real life. It's on it's, the... Have you, ha, have you ever been to Universal Studios in mm-hmm. Hollywood? Oh, not in Hollywood. I went in Florida. Okay, well, if you go to the one in Hollywood, California, they take you on the Backlot Tour. And the Backlot Tour is the actual facades that you see in lots of TV shows. And for yeah. me, it was super interesting because a lot of Knight Rider episodes are shot there and Back to the Future was shot there. And a lot of programs in my little tiny genre of things I like were shot there. So it was very interesting to see. Makes sense. They, they take you to the Bates Motel. The building is still in existence. And they do a bit and, they, and the, the, the bus comes up. And then a guy comes out the Bates Motel and he's got like a dummy body in his hands. And then he pulls out <laughs> a knife and he starts chasing the trolley. And then of course. the trolley pulls away. It's a whole thing. So I've seen the, real, the, the thing in real life. And also David Hasselhoff in his autobiography said that when he was filming Knight Rider, he he was a young lady he was spending some time with at the time and it was between takes. So they decided it would be fun to go to the Bates Motel and spend (laughs) some quality time. Of course, it's not really a hotel, but there must have been some area for them to 
enjoy each other's company. Hey, by the hour. That kind of idea. And of course, because he was filming Knight Rider, he had Kit. So the trolley thing pulls up in front of the Bates Motel. <laughs> Kit is parked in front. And, and, and like the guy on the tour goes, oh, look at this. Michael Knight is here. I wonder if he'll come out and say hi to everyone. And of course, David Hasselhoff is getting down to business and didn't want to do that. Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no way around it. He's probably just like, no, you guys got to see the, you got to see Kit. That's that's good enough. There you I'm go. Fine. <laughs> wow, that took a turn. <laughs> wow. I wonder, like, if people who were on that tour later saw like that interview and figured out what was going on. <laughs> well, he and- said that he he wrote that in his autobiography. Okay, well, then they read his autobiography. Yeah. They, they're like, oh, so that's why he wouldn't ah, come outside. Yeah, I see that now. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm trying to think if I've ever... I've never been injured to an Elvis song, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Have I ever gotten an injury at a hotel? That seems more likely. I could see that. I think I got my finger slammed in a door at a hotel once. Hmm. Busted my thumb up because you know how like heavy do- the, the hotel doors are because they've got like all the locks and stuff. Yeah, I went thing. to like close. Yeah, I went to close it, and I think that thing was still in it at the top, like the little piece. You know, like when you run down the hall to go get ice, and you put the little thing in it so you don't have to remove your key because somebody's already in there. That yeah, little yeah, metal yeah. piece at the top. And you're just like, I'm just gonna go get some ice. I'm gonna stick this in the door and be right back. And then they're sitting in there. Well, I think it was like in there, and I went to like open it, and it like got jammed, and I like. I think I I didn't break a finger, but it definitely was bloody and painful. Oh, dear. That's the only injury I can think of related (laughs) to hotels. It wasn't fun. Um, I'm sure there's some funny stories that's happened to me at a hotel before because I have my whole family has bad luck. Um, But I can't think of anything off the top of my head. If it comes to me, I will let you know. But so far, that's the only injury I can associate with hotels. Well, there you go. Well, as, as, as we think back to your um, your trapped thumb in a hotel door. <laughs> I think it was probably safe to say it hurts so good. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, <laughs> the banter on this episode. <laughs> oh, John Mellencamp. I'm guessing that's our next song. <laughs> that, that, would be, that was a slinky link into our next song. Now, Hurts So Good, wasn't it in Footloose the movie? I think it was. Pretty sure Hurts So Good is part of the Footloose track. But, I mean, also, it's just one of, I hate to say it, a very overplayed song. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those songs that, certainly in this area, it seems every cover band plays it. Well, it's got that sound that I think is popular in this area. And John Mellencamp is, like, not country, not folk, a little bit of rock, but kind of has that country sound. So I imagine it's popular around here. Yeah, I don't. I think they call that genre Americana. Oh yeah, he would fit that bill. <laughs> I like my description of it. And Tim's like, actually, there's a name for that joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, him and like Bruce Springsteen and all of them kind of fall in that that realm. Yeah, that 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 kind of thing. And also, sometimes he's John Mellencamp. Sometimes he's Johnny Cougar. Sometimes he's Johnny Mellencamp. Sometimes he's John Cougar Mellencamp. I don't. I never figured out his various cougar and uncougar thing. I I don't I don't understand it. I don't, I've never understood. I mean, 
I've seen it written every way, but I don't know if there's a specific reason why sometimes he's cougar and sometimes he's not. I mean, is his name even cougar? I don't think so. I think his name's just John Mellencamp. Um, unless what's his middle name in real life? Well, let's Google it. Martin. I don't know. <laughs> John Mellencamp. Okay. Well, it starts with a J. Because it says John J. Mellencamp, previously known as Johnny Kruger, John Cougar, and John Cougar Mellencamp. What's his middle name? It just says J. Jake. Maybe that's where the John comes from. Johnny. Well, that's his first name. Duh, Joy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't figure out what his middle name is. John Mellencamp, middle name. Is it Cougar? Do we have a uh, No Name Music Ask exclusive <laughs> on our hands? Well, everything just says J period. Maybe he doesn't have a middle name. Maybe, maybe he added the, uh, um, the initial in just for effect. Okay, what is John Middlecamp's middle name? John O. Cougar was a marketing strategy employed by the record company because Mellencamp was not cool. Yeah. Once established, John segged into his birth name via John Cougar Mellencamp, ultimately phasing out the Cougar part entirely. He did not like Cougar. So when he got rid of Cougar, he just made his middle initial J. Okay. So Cougar was his middle name, and they used it to try to make him sound cool and give him a James Dean style image. And he didn't like it, so eventually it just faded away. His, uh, his, um, his cougar, his cougar sprung the roost. Well, if you think about it, like imagely, what imagely? That's a word. <laughs> <laughs> Visually, he kind of has that. Um, like back in the day, he always had like kind of long hair. Imagine wearing a jean jacket, you know, out in the desert somewhere or something. That's probably that America's Americana style you're talking about, the James Dean thing. So I guess that they tried to produce that look too. Yeah, I also know about um, John Mellencamp. When I when I last went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, he had an art exhibition there, and he paints fine art. Oh, that's random. Yeah, apparently that's one of his uh, creative outlet passions is is, is painting. Do you have that like um, the Authority song album where he's like got like the blue jacket and it's like all crunched up on him? And he's like sit off to the side with the long hair. That's what I imagine when I imagine John Mellencamp. Exactly. I've played the Authority song before. Is that the name of the album or is that just the, is that just, I, it might just be the song. I th- I'm not sure if it's the album or the song, but I know, I know exactly the look you, you, you mean. Oh gosh. I see what he looks like now. He's, um, he's aged. Tim, have you seen him recently? I don't know. It, it comes to us all joy. Oh, his hair has gotten bigger, which is weird. Cause he's always kind of had big hair. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you haven't looked at a modern day picture of John Mellencamp, I would say do it. <laughs> whoa, I'm going to post. I'm screenshotting this one. This was going up on the page because I would never, Tim, even think this was him. Like if he walked past me on the street, I wouldn't recognize him at all. Maybe he did. Maybe when you went out to get your um, to your lunch, you walked past Pounder Express and there was John Cougar Mellencamp and you didn't even know. Could you imagine if, like, you walked past him and then you saw, like, on the news that he, like, uh, paparazzi found him right past where you went? You're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) How did I miss that? (laughs) I I walked past Jerry Hall once, if you know who Jerry Hall is. No. 
It's um, Mick Jagger's Lady. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen. I I physically have seen her in a picture once, but I wouldn't know her if my life depended on it. Yeah, I, I worked Did, in. I worked in. Do you know it was her when you walked past her? Yeah, absolutely. I worked in Richmond, not Richmond, Virginia, Richmond, Surrey. And Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall okay. had or still have a place up on Richmond Hill. And I was I was walking through like the high street downtown, as you call it, but high street area. And okay. I walked through where they were building something, and you know, like when they have construction and they have like scaffolding around, but they make a bit you can walk through and it gets yeah. narrow. I walked through and I sort of moved to the side so that they let the person walk beside me. And I went, oh, look at that. It's Jerry Hall. Huh. See, now I have a good claim to fame with seeing a star in real life, Tim. I once saw. So when I went to see when I was in New York, I saw a couple of Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. And when I saw Hairspray, Link was played by Ashley Parker Angel from Ozone. So I went outside backstage. (laughs) (laughs) I realize how ridiculous this is. And his name is Ashley Parker Angel. If anybody was wondering, that's the guy's real name. And he used to be in the band Ozone. And so we got his we got his um, autograph so I can say I met one of the members of Ozone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or O-Town or whatever they were called. O-Town. That's what they were called. The one who sang Liquid Dreams. <laughs> I tell you, I'd hang on to that signature if you still have it, because I, I think I think that's your that's your retirement policy right there. <laughs> um, everybody's screaming. Oh, since that band that did the Dragonstone didn't the one that did the Numa Numa song. <laughs> Different <laughs> than O-Town. Different than O-Town, guys. <laughs> I just uh, made somebody yell at us again. Anyway, but yes, that's going to be my retirement one day. Ashley Parker Angel. You 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 never know when you might need to cash that one in. <laughs> I, somebody would be like, "Who is the, like?" I go to turn it into the pot shop. They'd be like, "We don't know who that is." <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> All right. All right. So the next <laughs> the next song I have with well, this this is a this is a eighties favorite for me. It's from nineteen eighty three. Matthew Walters, Break My Stride. Matthew Walters, Break My Stride. I don't know if I know that song. He goes, anybody going to break my stride? Uh, yeah. Oh, no. I've got to keep on. Okay, I do know that song. I just didn't know it by name. <laughs> Tim's like, oh, you absolutely know that song. <laughs> is he a one-hit wonder? I believe he is a one-hit wonder. Now, I know that after looking into him, after he did Break My Stride, I think he may have had one or two other songs that didn't really go anywhere, but he moved into songwriting. And I think from there on in, he wrote a lot of pop songs and produced Mm -hmm. a lot of pop songs. But but Break My Stride was his... um, his breakthrough hit. I know it's such a happy song. No, it's a great song. And when you start singing, I was like, oh, I love that song, but I would have never associated it with Matthew. What did you say his last name was? Walter? Matthew, Matthew Wilder. Yeah. No, I would have no clue who that was. That's another one who could pass me in the street. And yeah. I'd be like, who's that person? <laughs> See, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what he looked like. I mean, I, I've, I don't I, either. I've said, I saw, I've seen pictures of him at the time, but now, I mean, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Or where do we even know if he's alive? That's a good question. I'd like to think he is breaking strides somewhere. Oh, no. He's got to keep on moving. I mean, now that'll be in my head for the next six weeks. It's definitely one of those poppy one hit wonders that absolutely everyone knows, but doesn't know who to associate it with. Exactly. And I'm sure there's probably a really terrible cover version of it that was done in 1997 or something. Probably. It seems very much so. And it actually seems like it's been used in movies a lot. And like, 
because I mean, it's talking about someone being upbeat. You're never going to stop me, you know, kind of let that don't back down type thing. So I could see that being, he probably made bank off that song actually. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as we know these days for recorded music, there's not a lot of money to be made unless you license it to a film or a TV show or something. Regular people making music and putting it out there, there's not a lot of money to be made, but certainly back in 1983, I mean, you could probably retire on that. Oh yeah. Well, and I, if he did it, like you said, if he wrote, I've heard that writing songs for other musicians is a very lucrative business too, because you put it up for bid in a way and musicians can almost decide or not decide if they want it or people can bid towards it. And you can make a lot of money by writing songs for other musicians. So if he did that, he probably did get a sizable amount. Maybe he has a tennis court on his property. He doesn't know about. (laughs) I mean, it's possible. I mean, maybe he has a number of tennis courts. I still can't believe how absolutely ridiculous that is. (laughs) I'm never going to like, that's never going to leave my brain. I just, all right, ludicrous wherever you are. (laughs) Well, he's obviously out on his property trying to find new, uh, new features he wasn't aware of. I'll hear tomorrow. He found out that there's an aquarium in the back. (laughs) <laughs> I, found, I found a rusty razor he- electric razor head in our kitchen oh, above good. the cabinets maybe a year after we lived here because I was I was cleaning something out. I mean, that's about the only thing I've ever found I didn't know I had. I mean, I've heard stories of people like cracking into their attic and finding like old World War II memorabilia or something. Never had anything like that happen to me, but I have heard stories about it. And I heard one that like, one where was recently a couple who like their walls were insulated with money. I was mm. like, why can't that happen to me? Yeah. <laughs> I made a hole in the drywall downstairs one time in the kitchen when I, when I tried to fix it and I broke it and there was no <laughs> money in there, sadly. Darn it. Just rusty razor plates. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Tim had to have a tennis shot. If anybody was wondering. <laughs> okay what's the next song well again this is another bingo card classic and on a uh, hurt and pain injury special i i could not have this one i have not had this one i want to break free of course well we could say queen over and over and over again and then everybody who's playing bingo will win because i'm pretty sure queen's on there um but we've talked a lot about the music so that's the music video you say is based off of a tv show right that's correct yeah it's based on the the uk soap opera coronation street so were there cross-dressers on the show or is it just like they're cross-dressing to look like the show they're cross-dressing to look like the show. Coronation Street is a soap opera set in, I think it's the fictional town of Weatherfield. I think that's where it's set. And it's a street, okay. Coronation Street. And it's it's like life in the north of England. There's a, there's the pub, the Rovers Return, and a lot of people live on Coronation Street. And there was like a, a shop called The Cabin, which was like a corner shop general store type so it's thing. like cheers are all in the family in america type show yeah and you know and people and things are happening in coronation street and this this i to my knowledge coronation street is still running and it's been running since the 60s the show is still on yeah huh that's that's like might be one of the longest running shows i've ever heard of yeah, I mean, it's, it's been going for, I mean, I, I think it's still going. I mean, it certainly was going last time I was in England and saw a TV on. That's interesting. Well, but, soap operas last for a really long time, though. 
Well, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, because they rotate the cast through and they rotate yeah. writers through in it. Because my mom watched when I was younger, my mom watched a soap opera called Guiding Light, and it was the longest running soap opera in America. It went off the air when I was in high school, probably. But it had been on since it started on the radio, like an actual radio show. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother listened to it on the radio, then started watching it on TV and then got my mom hooked. And then she watched it through the span. And it would be like there was a character named Laura, but Laura would be a different actor every three years or so. Mm-hmm. The same kind of general premise. But that, as far as I know, was the longest running soap opera in America was a show called Guiding Light. And the only things I remember from that. soap, well, I actually do have some funny stories on that soap opera. One. <laughs> I remember that there was a blind woman. Okay. (laughs) So this is so weird. And I don't know why it stuck out to me. It just seemed hyper unrealistic, which this sounds like every soap opera ever is unrealistic. I realized this, but this scenario, supposedly a guy broke into her house and she got a frying pan and hit him over the head with it. A blind woman got a frying pan and hit the man who broke into her house over the head with the frying pan. Now, I understand she could hear. She could probably touch. But like in the episode, she's hiding in the dark. And she turns the corner and the guy just kind of pops up. And somehow the blind woman <laughs> knew to hit him in the head with the frying pan. And I don't know why, but that always stuck out to me in the show. I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> The thing is, you have to remember is these soap operas, they're two nights, three nights a week. They have a lot of time to fill. So they're, sitting, they're sitting around in the, in the writer's room and they're like, right, well, how can we get some? Ah, the frying pan, that'll do. OK, we'll get that. <laughs> Add some drama. And then I remember this one time, this lady and this guy were sitting at like a like a restaurant or like a diner, like at the counter. Mm-hmm. And he said he pays his tab with his debit card or credit card or whatever it was. And it was like, his tab was only like eight bucks. And she's like, well, why don't you have cash for it? And he was like, I just don't have any cash. And she's like, no full grown adult should never carry less than $20. And now as a full grown adult, I'd literally never have $20 <laughs> in cash. And so that even that line did not age well, because I literally never have cash on me at all. I mean, the only reason the only reason I have cash is that since the age of about seven, 16, 17 years old, I've played a gig almost every weekend and I, there's normally some cash. And of course I declare all my money and I pay my taxes and I uh, always have cash in my wallet. So that's where I have it from. Well, that makes sense. But I, I literally don't do that. So I never have cash. No. And in fact, when I first, <laughs> like, moved, I just remember thinking now as an adult, that's a ridiculous line. And, and now when, when I, when I first moved here 10 odd years ago, I didn't play any gigs for about six, seven, eight months. So the times I wanted cash, I had to draw it out. And then other than that, I never had cash. But I mean, you know, these days it doesn't really matter because you pay with your card for everything. Well, and I mean, truly, it's probably safer for you in the long run to not carry a bunch of cash on you, I would think. Um and like if you're traveling and you don't want conversion rates, I understand using a credit card. Anyway, so those are the two things from Guiding Light. <laughs> but also, my mom used to actually record Guiding Light on like a VCR tape. Mm-hmm. 
she recorded over all of our home video. Oh, no. <laughs> and we found one home video. And in the video, I'm a little kid outside running around. And she comes outside. The one home video she didn't record over that we found, she yells at us to come inside because guiding lights coming. <laughs> and I remember me and my dad and my twin sister died laughing that that was the one we could find. <laughs> All right. Well, that took a turn. That wasn't about breaking free at all. <laughs> it's about soap operas. All right. <laughs> What's next, Tim? <laughs> okay. So this may be a bit of a tenuous link, but it's Breakfast in America by Supertramp. Oh, Breakfast in America. Yeah. Like, what's Breakfast in America? Breakfast in America. So I went on a thing where, and I, if I could find it, I have not been able to find it. I went down a rabbit hole with Breakfast in America Super Tramps, where it sounds like this song, and this sounds like this song, and this, and it went back like 30 years, and like it had like a whole link of songs that sound the same. Now, there was a modern day version where they did the, uh, where they used Breakfast in America, the, um, oh, what is that band? I think I've heard that. Take a look at your girlfriend. She's the only one I got. Da, 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 da. Um, it's oh, that's I have to look it up because that's going to drive me insane because I even saw them live. They opened for offspring when I went to see them. Hold on. Breakfast in America. Yeah, I, I, I remember mm. hearing that because it uses the sample from the song. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's Cupid Chokehold. Um, it's Gym Class Heroes, and the song's called Cupid, Cupid's Chokehold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it uses the take a look at your girlfriend. She's the only one I got. Da, 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 da. So that was reused. That was resampled. But this was talking about songs prior to Breakfast in America. Like, it went back, like, 30 songs. And, I mean, and it was, like, songs you've heard of. Like, it had, like, some Led Zeppelin songs. But it started and showed how, like, and I know I'm I'm a – firm believer and there's only so many chords we reuse songs we might reuse sounds without even realizing we're doing it Mm -hmm. but this one was very interesting because like literally every song linked up perfectly and i have got to find that rabbit hole again because it does exist i'm starting to believe i made the whole thing up (laughs) (laughs) found it on the youtube it's out there Maybe at some point you should post them all up on our page, like the history of that song. <laughs> yes. And I mean, it went back to like Stairway to Heaven, which said, you know, we've heard Stairway to Heaven sounds like this song and this song. And it just like it kept going and going and going and just kind of showed like a track record of like all these different songs that sound really similar. And, and I it, feel like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and in the end, it's going to end up with like two cavemen bashing rocks together. Pretty much because that's how it works. But I, like I said, I'm like one of those people that I think that most songs, most sounds are reused. And I don't even know if I think it's purposeful. No, I mean, there's only so many chords in the world. and There's only so many ways of arranging them. And the problem is, is there's so much music out there. Even if you wanted to write something completely unique and original, I think subconsciously you would have probably heard something like it. That's what I was getting at is I think sometimes it's done subconsciously. You've heard this song a million times in your life, but you're not actively thinking about it when you're writing the new song. Mm-hmm. It's just there and you the chord progression sounds good to you. And you because your brain's associating it with music and what you like. And especially if you tend to stay in the same genre or the same sound, it's going to sound similar. Um, 
I don't put too much stock into a lot of the people out there trying to sue each other over this song sounds like this song and this song sounds like this. I'm still not convinced that never going to give it up. Marvin Gaye sounds anything like Blurred Lines. I don't really think it does. No, I, I, I mean, that was settled in a court of law by very expensive lawyers, but I don't hear the, the difference. I don't, I, it's marginal at best. It's just the timing that kind of beat. But I truly just think Marvin Gaye's family wanted money. But that we're not going to talk uh, illy of them. Somehow they'll find our podcast and sue us. So moving on. Yeah, we're moving. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, we can't confirm anything and et cetera. Sorry if you are a member. I just don't hear it. Let's just say that. No, I don't hear it either. Yeah, that's just my theory. So anyway, Breakfast in America apparently <laughs> sounds like 30 other songs. That's what I remember. There we go. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I have another song for you on my list. So this is Culture Club. Do you really want to hurt me? Which is a favorite of mine. I absolutely love that song. Um, In the movie Without a Paddle, I don't know if you you probably haven't seen that movie. (laughs) There's a part where like they um, he's like stuck in a hole and he's like like the guy's like hiding and when he starts hiding, he just starts singing, um, do you really want to hurt me? <laughs> do you really? And the guy's like, does anybody else hear a culture club? And the guy's like, yeah. <laughs> and then later in one part, the guy who was singing the culture club song was like, and then the guys who were looking for him were listening to Creed. And he's like, does anybody else hear Creed? And they're like, hopefully not. <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> So the, the gag went back and forth. So that's what I think of. But also, I just really like that song. It's a good song. Are you familiar with um, their first single they came, came out with, I'll Tumble For You? Yes, I've heard that song before. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but I've definitely heard it. Yeah, on um, I, I assume it's still on there, but on Amazon Prime, they had a live concert of Culture Club, and it was filmed you know 2015 or something like that you know it's in the it's in recently in in relative terms and i i know i've never you know you hear the songs there's some good songs there and you know like this one and karma chameleon and victims and war song it's all all, it's Mm -hmm. good good pop music i didn't realize how good boy george is as a singer frontman and how good the band is because you you find a lot of like these acts from the from the eighties where maybe the singer's still out there getting it done, but the actual band is completely interchangeable. But you see all the people in Culture Club, and they're the same guys who were playing in Culture Club back way back when. Well, he has a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boy George does. Well, obviously, it's got a very distinct look. We don't really need to get into that. Um, but he has a very distinct voice. But I've heard him live, and it's really good. Mm. Like he's not just like some people I think would associate him as like fanfare or something. No, he's a really good musician. Yeah, I, I was really surprised. I do. I mean, good luck to him with this DJ thing he does because he DJs? Just, yeah, because I mean, he goes to clubs in Ibiza and Vegas and stuff like that. And just, oh, like Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you can milk money out of that, I mean, good luck to you. I'd do it if some yeah, come out and Sounds play. Kind of fun, honestly. But I mean, I don't think there's a lot of, as we've discussed before, if you're a producer and you're all your beat matching and stuff, I think there's some skill in that. But if you're just going out to a nightclub and then you're playing one rap song after another dance song, there's not a lot of skill in that. Well, and that's, I mean, that's what I think of 
there's a difference between being an actual DJ and just going and playing music. So we were we were joking about Paris Hilton going to, you know, Ibiza or something and putting on her shows and like she has like a record table and everything in front of her. But it really just sounds like she's mashing up different. She's not even mashing up songs. She's just starting one electronic song and leading into another. And that does sound kind of fun. And I mean, good for her. If they're paying her good money to do it, I mean, <laughs> she's I better said, than I am. I would do it. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I mean, I, I would get involved in that. I mean, it can't be that hard. No. <laughs> now there are some really good people who can do really cool mashups, which we've talked about, but that takes skill because you have to be able to hear chord progressions and see what matches. Exactly. Do you know, I found out recently, I didn't know this was a thing. So like, Back in the classic days of DJing, you know, mm-hmm. with the scratching and the beat matching and all that stuff, they would bring these massive boxes of records. And then, of course, you'd have to pull the correct record out and you'd have to look at the grooves and know where things started and things ended and all this kind of stuff. What yeah. I found out, I didn't know this, is that DJs now, they still have turntables and they still have records. However, the records don't have the music encoded on them. They have a digital code on the record and what you do is you have a piece of equipment you load your mp3 files into and then it somehow matches up the digital code on the record with the mp3 files so the idea being if you want to go out and dj and do beat matching and scratching and all that stuff you haven't got to carry a massive box of records you only have to bring two records and then you just load oh and that makes sense and you load the files into this box and then the whole thing you, so you still have the tactile feel of the turntable. You can scratch, you can slow it down, mm-hmm. you can move the needle over, do all the things that you would do. As and if just you the was... aesthetic of it, yeah. Yeah, but but the actual, you don't have to bring 100 records with you because you can just load them digitally in. Well, and that makes sense why when you see modern-day DJs, I'm talking about actual DJs. Like, I've seen some of the people who do, like, those electric dance-type music and stuff. They always have a laptop up on the turntable, like, yeah. up on it. So that's probably where they're matching. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea, but I wonder what technology that uses. That's interesting, Tim. Well, you, you, there's some kind of digital code coming off that record. So it's like an analog to digital thing, and then it knows where in the track it is. Would it almost be so? Because it's playing off the computer or whatever they've got their MP3s coming from the mm-hmm. the record just links it. But how would you? So if you only have two records and you're playing like how many songs in one night, like when you move the actual piece, does it change songs? I think what you do is you assign track number one to turntable one and track number two to turntable two. And then when you're done with that track, you would probably load the next song in the software and then it knows which record to tie with which MP3 file. My brain doesn't quite understand it, but I'm sure if I had it in front of me, it would make sense. <laughs> like visually, I'm trying to think of how you would place it, you know, to make it know which one you want. But if you put it in front of me, it probably makes sense. But yeah. I guess yeah. I, I heard I heard about it on a podcast. I was like, really? Is that a thing? And then I looked into it and Sweetwater have all the equipment. And I was just curious, but there okay. you go. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Boy, George, that's how that went to there. <laughs> I was like, how do we get on DJs? But yeah, I had no idea he was DJing, but good luck. It sounds fun. Exactly. Well, I, ha- I have another song for you. This is R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. That is one of the so you we talked about how R.E.M. hates to sing shiny, happy people. And actually, I learned the lady who did the music for Shiny or the lady who wrote it or produced it or something. I have to go back and look at it. She worked on Nickelodeon. 
which okay. is funny because she when she was doing like Nickelodeon, like the upbeat kids type shows and stuff like that. She was like over some of the music. And so then that made sense that she would have done that song. The shiny, happy people. I was watching a documentary the other day and it dawned on me. But back to um, <laughs> what I was going to say, they that song has the most almost melancholy yet sounds happy sound a song can have. Yeah, Does that make right, sense? Because it's, I think it's in a, it's in a major key, but it's like a sad song. Song, yeah. It sounds happy in theory to the ear, but then when you pay attention to it, it's not happy. Yeah, Which... I think I think it comes from it being in a major key, not a minor key. But like you say, yeah. it's got a, it, it has that kind of droopy sound to it. Yeah, I mean, and. I'm trying to think, is there other REM songs? Because obviously Shiny Happy People just sounds happy. Losing My Religion is definitely not in a major key. No, it's um, in a minor key. The one that I love, I can't really remember how that sounds. I like um, What's the Frequency, Kenneth. That's a good song. But that also kind of has that kind of feel to it. Yeah, I think maybe that's the REM sound. Well, now that I've established that, <laughs> but yeah, well, when I hear that song, I always think that it, it kind of, well, what is the one where the little girls um, walking in the, not the REM song, but the song where the little girls in the bumblebee outfit and it's used in that, oh God, that music video where it's really famous and there's a little girl running in a bumblebee outfit in the 90s oh what is that song i'm gonna have to look it up still screaming at the computer again as as we've established me and me in the, the the 90s and music videos and pop music would not necessarily drive this song you would know though hang on it's pretty iconic i just can't blind melon no rain oh okay yeah, yeah. that's what i was thinking that song does the same kind of sound too though um it sounds kind of upbeat but it's definitely not and then I think of this another one that's a weird kind of dichotomy like that is the crash test dummies, mm-hmm. which is I don't know if I like that song or I hate that song. I've yet to figure it out, <laughs> but it's the same thing. So maybe that was a 90s sound because those those songs are all kind of associated in my brain. It's a sort of the 90s alternative rock, not grunge, but kind of that thing type thing. And then there's the semi-charmed life by third eye blind. I don't know if you've heard that song, but it's, he's literally talking. It sounds like super upbeat, happy, um, but it's talking about doing drugs, Like the whole song's just about drugs. Yeah. And it's specifically doing meth. Oh, you know, a nice wholesome <laughs> topic for a song. <laughs> meth and heroin or something like that. But yeah, that, that also falls in that range. So that's what I think of when I hear that song. <laughs> There we are. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we, we are, we'll close this episode out with one more song. And this one is Led Zeppelin's Communication Breakdown. Communication Breakdown. Well, I don't know what I think of that song. Tim, I'll let you talk about it for a second because I need to gather my thoughts. Well, Communication is it's off the first Led Zeppelin album. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's that riff. It's got a classic riff to it. And the f- whole of the first Led Zeppelin album is when it first came out, it, all the songwriting credits were credited to Robert Plant and Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones and John Bonham, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. after the fact, it turned out that they ripped off most of that stuff from African-American blues artists. 
and over the years, various issues of that album and, you know, the credits for Communication Breakdown mm -hmm. have changed from, you know, blah, blah, John Paul Jones and so-and-so artists. And then, then I, I think now if you actually get a copy of it now, it actually credits it to the the artists who they stole all the, all the work from. So is it? Hasn't that been a problem for Led Zeppelin across the board? Hasn't there been a lot of push that a lot of their music has sounds very familiar and sounds like other artists? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, Jimmy Page was a, um, a session guitar player back before he was in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And I, I don't know. And I think they were very influenced by the blues. They were very influenced by African-American music. And... It's it's hard not to when you know when you when you're making guitar riffs it's hard not to that stuff not to come out. Well, and so that makes sense. But I just remember I've heard a lot of pushback recently with some of their songs, and maybe it is that song you were just talking about. But I've heard something, and then I saw. Uh, have you saw Jimmy Page like as a adult, full functioning human right now? Yeah, and I think we've covered this before because he's got <laughs> he's gone from being a rock and roll icon, um, the hard living, drink, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all that kind of stuff, and he now looks like someone's grandma. Yeah, like the long. Oh yeah, we talked about this. The long white hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. his face looks soft. <laughs> yeah, he, he just looks like he looks like someone's like friendly grandma. Yeah, well, you would hope they'd like maybe make you a cake or something. And then, so, did that album also have, like, a whole lot of love in that song on it? Or weren't they at the same time? Yeah. It's all, it's, yeah, it's, and it's got the how many more times on it. And so it's, it's, always, like, it's like the very first um, Zeppelin album. So very late 60s kind of. Yeah, I, I think it's 68, 69, something like that. Makes sense. Yeah, I just thought I had heard something when you started bringing that up. I thought I'd heard some pushback on some of their music sounding eerily similar to other things. But once again, as we just said in the previous statement um, and actually on my rabbit hole about Breakfast in America, Led Zeppelin was in there. I can quote that. I swear they were in there. <laughs> so maybe that's when my brain's linking it. But I, I don't give too much credit to every song. Now, there are some artists like Ma Baker and, and Poker Face like Boney and Ma Baker, mm -hmm. Lady Gaga used Ma Baker to write Poker Face and it's credited and she admits that that's where she got the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are times where artists do use inspiration and credit them, but I think a lot of times they do it and they don't even realize they're doing it. Exactly. I, I do like Boney M. I, my, I, I like Rasputin because not only isn't Rasputin is a great quirky pop song, it's completely factually accurate. So I absolutely am a avid listener of Rasputin. I am the one who I've had friends over. I turn it on loud. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> and I can say I have been injured to Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this, this is the perfect way to close the episode out. So, Joy, please reveal your bony M Rasputin injury. So, you know how... Okay. So Rasputin, if you guys haven't heard it, it's about Russia, Russia, the Russian czar Rasputin has the Russian sound. If you've never listened to Boney and I love their version of um, what is the song that I'm trying? Well, I love Ma Baker. I love Rasputin. And then they do a version of Rivers of Babylon that I really like, yeah. too, um, which also Sublime did a version of Rivers of Babylon. That's really good. So those are the three that I associate the most. But I love Boney M. I will put them on. I'll turn it up loud and we will dance. But there is a just dance like 
the um, game that you play, Just Dance Wii or Just Dance whatever, mm-hmm. you know, connect PlayStation where you're moving around. Well, there's like a famous, the, the Russian, hey, 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 where yeah. you get up and you get down. <laughs> well, you do that in the Rasputin version on Just Dance. So every time we turn it on, me and my roommate and everybody in the house, we all love it. And we all start acting really stupid. And so we were attempting to do that stupid where you go all the way down and you jump up and your hands go out and your feet go out. So he stood it beside me. And we were both trying. We both failed. He hit me in the oh. face when he came back up and whacked me right in the nose. Oh, no. so that was the last time I tried to do the Russian thing because it literally like when it goes hey 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 ever it literally is like you get down you jump you guys can uh, picture what Russian kind of dance I'm talking about I'm sure well t- Bobby was actually pretty good at it but it got a little aggressive and he flew his hands out and smacked me right in the face <laughs> <laughs> so I, it came full circle Tim I can confirm I have been injured to Rasputin and there we are, ladies and gentlemen, on that Rasputin uh, injury knowledge. We will leave it there for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>